Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, we're going to get into the Word today. Happy Father's Day to you dads. And uh, I know many of you that uh, you're not only... Uh, there's some of you that may not be a biological father, but you're a spiritual father to people. And uh, I want to just thank you, wish you happy Father's Day. I was gone the latter part of the week. We had the homegoing memorial service for my spiritual father, Papa Jack Taylor. And uh, so they had the one for the family, the smaller family, uh, a couple of, oh, it was probably two months ago. And then a bunch of us descended on South Carolina this weekend and just... Had a wonderful service. So many great stories of the impact that Jack Taylor had on people's lives. And it just really brought to me again the importance of fathers in the faith. Fathers and mothers. And uh, I know I can say without, without uh, contradiction. I mean, I absolutely would not be where I'm at in life had there not been some people that stepped in as a mom and a dad. And uh, I have a great mom and dad. Great great uh, biological parents that are spiritual parents to me. Uh, but then there's others that also stepped in. And, and uh, so, man, thank you to you dads for what you do. So moms, it's, this is the day. You just, I, I, was, I won't say who it was because of what they said, but a young man walked, came up and we were talking. I said, hey, did you tell your dad happy Father's Day? Not yet. And I said, you going to give him a foot rub today? Nah, we do enough for him the rest of the year, he said. And uh, so I was razzing him. But uh, treat, your, treat your dad, your husband good today for all that they do. All right. So in light of that, I want to speak about fatherhood. I want to speak about the fatherhood of God. And uh, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. You could say that the purpose of Jesus coming was to reconcile us to the Father. The fact that Jesus came to redeem us from our sin was simply a means to an end and not the end in itself. We need to understand that because Jesus' big goal was not to remove our sin and that was it. That was the means to the end, not the end in and of itself. I had a dear friend, have a dear friend named Jeff Cleeter. He used to preach a message called the end, the means, and the byproduct. And he talked about how it's so important to keep the end clear and the means clear, and the byproduct clear. Because if you get them mixed up, you can inadvertently get into some weird stuff. And a lot of us as believers do that. For instance, the end is intimacy with God, the means is prayer, and the byproduct is that you grow in character. Matter of fact, we can make a confession. My wife said to me the other day, you know you're different since you've been praying so much. Now, I felt blessed and really bummed, frankly. She's been married to me for many years, well, over three decades. And she's, I said, and what do you mean? She said, it's like, she said, I don't know, your spirit's softer. And part of that was like, wow, what was I like before? You know? She said, no, you were always easygoing, but she said, your spirit is soft. She really meant it as a compliment, and I appreciated her sharing that with me. That's the byproduct. I didn't pray to get my spirit softer. I prayed to have intimacy 
the means to doing it was prayer, and a byproduct was my spirit got softer. And I want it softer than this. So I'm going to keep praying. But if we're not careful, we can inadvertently mix up the end, the means, and the byproduct, and all of a sudden the, the goal, the end, becomes prayer itself. Well, why are you praying? Well, because I need to pray, because I want to be a man of prayer. I don't aspire to be a man of prayer just to be a man of prayer. I aspire to be a man of prayer because it's going to draw me closer to the Lord and I want to partner with him in the earth. And what happens is a lot of times we get things mixed up and if your end is prayer, it doesn't have the same results. Believe me, I've been there. Prayer meetings are not exciting. (laughs) Often they aren't even when your motives are right. But we, we need to keep the end, the end, and the means, the means. Because you'll end up with a whole new byproduct and it'll be frustration and barrenness. And so we need to keep things clear of what, what's going on. And so I say all that to say this, that Jesus died to reconcile us to the Father. Taking care of our sin at Calvary was the means to the end. And what that tells you is that God is not sin conscious. He's not sin centric. He is He is after you. The big deal. See, before I understood this for years, I thought the big deal was that God was really, he was all freaked out about sin. And so he went to the cross and the major communication of Calvary was God's hatred for sin. When in reality, God was freaked out, if God can get freaked out. God was upset about being separated from his people. The goal was, I am going to rescue them, even if I have to go to hell and back. And so he came after us. And the real objective was intimacy with us, not our sin. And so the important, the the main message of Calvary is God's love for man, not God's hatred for sin. God hates sin because it comes between him and man. And if we're not careful, we make God this, it's all about sin and it it alienates us from God because we aren't perfect yet. And so we've got to keep these things clear. And Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. But before he could reconcile us to the Father, he had to reveal us. He had to reveal the Father to us. So there was a reconciliation to the Father, but there had to be a revelation of the Father. God has to reveal, Jesus came to reveal the Father because you and I have these misconceptions. So let me read this verse. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, now he's speaking of, this is early church history. This is just prior, this is still in the the time of the original apostles. He said in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now listen to how it words it. He says in times past, he spoke to us through prophets. He spoke to us through the prophets, but now he speaks to us by his son. And that word by has the idea of not just him speaking by Jesus as in, hey, Jesus, say the things I'm saying, although that's what Jesus did. Out of his own mouth, he says, I only say what I see the Father saying. Hear the Father saying, only do what I see the Father doing. 
But what it really means is that God speaks by Jesus. Everything Jesus did was God's communication to man. That's why in John chapter 1, we read these words, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there is logos. It's where we get the word logic. It has the idea of an idea. And that's what a word is. If you think about what is a word, a word is an idea wrapped in a communication mechanism. It's wrapped in sound or wrapped in print so that you can take that idea and translate it from one heart to another heart, from one head to another. I, I think things, and if I want to give that to you, I put them in words so I can transfer them to you. And so Jesus is the Word of God. He is the idea of God. He is God's grand idea. But what God did is the Word was God. It was with God. But He became flesh. That the Word, God's great idea, took on human flesh so He could exhibit. He could act it out. He could express to us, this is what God is thinking. So it's not just what Jesus said and that, that's a, you know, read the red, they say. What they're talking about is read the Gospels. What's written in red is what Jesus said. And so if you want to know what Jesus taught, read the red. But we're not limited to just what he said. We also can look at what he did. Because everything Jesus did and does is the Father speaking. Because the Father speaks to us by his Son. So everything he did is the Father communicating to us what he really thinks, what he would really do. And that's why this verse goes on to say, listen to what it says. I'll read it again. 1-1, one, one. in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. The Son is the radiance of His glory. I love that. The Son emanates from the heart of the Father. You want to know what God is like? Matter of fact, one time, Philip had, the, the disciple Philip had a conversation with Jesus, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus looked at him. You can almost hear the hurt in Jesus' words when he says, Philip, do you not yet know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul said, Jesus is the exact representation of the Godhead in bodily form. Jesus is the expression on earth of God. He is God's grand idea. Matter of fact, you can massage that idea, that concept, that, uh, th that, that, that verse there in John chapter 1. It really, it has the same meaning of as a prototype. 
You know, if you have a prototype, like maybe there's a car manufacturer, what they're going to do is they're going to develop a prototype car. They're going to have a new model, a whole new version of a car, and they'll put all kinds of bells and whistles on that prototype. It's going to, they're going to redesign it, and they will put millions of dollars and, and thousands and thousands of hours in developing a prototype that they perfect, and then that thing goes into mass production. And we need to understand that Jesus was God's prototype for humanity. He was the new humanity. And God perfected his son according to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 5. He took him through a process and developed him into all that God intended and all that God desired. And he made the prototype and at, at Pentecost he put that thing into mass production. And that's why we are called Christians, little Christ. We are to be like him. So God is out to reveal the Father. Jesus is out to reveal the Father so he can reconcile us to the Father so then he can reproduce the Father. This thing of fatherhood, the fatherhood of God is a huge deal. And if we're not careful, we talk a lot about the Son but ignore the goal he was get, trying to get us to. I've actually known people. I, I knew a, a guy that was actually a counselor. And one day he confided in me. He says, you know, I have a really good relationship with Jesus. But I just can't bring myself to relate with this father thing. I can't relate with the father. He understood that Jesus gave his life. He, he was able to receive that affection from Jesus, a, a, a sense of, man, the sacrifice that Jesus made. But he felt aloof from the Father. And as we talked, he began to confide that he had a very distant, cold, non, unaffectionate relationship with his human father. And that is not uncommon. The fact is, Father's Day, this day we celebrate, is often a painful day for a lot of people. Because they didn't have a good experience as a child with a father. It's not someone they want to pick up the phone and, and talk to and say, man, I hope you're having a great day. There's this, this pain there. There's unresolved issues. And I just want to encourage you, if that's true of you, make it right before he passes. Do what you can on your end. Find, even if he was an abusive, uh, louse, Find something good and speak to that. I don't know how many of you ever heard Joyce Meyer's testimony. How many have ever heard her testimony? Raise your hand. How many of you are unfamiliar with her backstory? Just raise your hand. Unfamiliar with the backstory of Joyce Meyer. Amazing story. Her father sexually abused her all through her childhood. It was very, very common. He would rape her continually. And she would dread when her dad's going to come home. One time, he, was, he had pulled over the, to the side of the road and doing, doing his thing. And a police officer pulls up with the red lights behind him. He gets out of the car, talks to the police officer, and he comes back. He said, you're going to have to service him as well so he doesn't give me a ticket. Can you imagine the wound this, late, this young girl had towards men? And luckily, his police radio went off and he had to go take care of some other things so she didn't have to have any, a physical relationship with this police officer. But this was just a constant thing in, this, in Joyce's life. 
She got married very young just to get out of the house, and it was a terrible situation. The guy ended up abandoning her in another city, and so she moved back, and she had gotten saved, but barely. <laughs> and Dave Myers, her husband, had told God, Lord, I want a wife, but I want one that's going to be, that's a challenge. I want one that needs, <laughs> needs somebody to love her well. I, wanna, I want you dads, you husbands, and you wives to get a vision for this. You need to burn with this thing that if your spouse has gone through things in their childhood, there needs to be this inner vow in you that God forbid that my spouse should go through life not knowing what real love is. That I took on this responsibility and I'm going to do, spend my life making up for what they missed. I'm going to lay my life down for this person. I'm going to undo what happened to them. I'm going to ask God to use me. And that's what Dave Myers did. God began to do a, a work in her heart. And her mom and dad were now aged. And the Lord said, I want you to take care of your dad. In fact, I want you to buy him a house. And her and her husband emptied their bank account and bought him a house, bought her mother and father a house and furnished it and moved him in near them. And she kept ministering to him and ministering to him. And Dave Meyer, her husband, would minister to him and minister to him. And finally, one day, her mother called Joyce. She said, Joyce, you need to get over here. What's going on? Your father has lost it. He just keeps weeping and weeping. You need to get over here. So her and her husband drove over and they got there and he says, I don't understand. Why have you treated me so kindly? Why have you been so kind to me? Why have you loved me like you love me? She, he looked at Joyce's husband and she said, if anybody had a right to hate me, you would. But all you've ever done is treated me kindly and treated me nice. And they led him to the Lord. And she baptized her father in water and he died soon after. What she had to do, what she didn't get from her father. Matter of fact, the negative things she did get from her father, she had to plug into a heavenly father and receive those things from him so she could go back and minister to the previous generation. This thing of fatherhood is huge. It really is the foundation, not just of a family, but of society and a culture. The absentee father is the source of a myriad of ills in society. And when we see families that don't have a father figure, we need to be, have our ears up and we need to step in and, and minister to those children in that situation because they need the influence of a father figure. Somebody with authority that can speak into that situation and call them into their destiny. We talked about this a number of months ago, but there was an interesting study. I forget the name. I, I didn't plan on sharing this, but there was a, 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 I forget the name of the, the, the lady, but she had, she had done a study. She had found this interesting article about this nature reserve and the elephants had died off on this nature reserve and so they figured hey what we'll do is we'll ship in some other elephants 
And I, if I remember right, they did it by huge helicopters, Huey helicopters. But the, the full-grown elephants were too big to, to fly in, so they just took these young male elephants and young female elephants and flew them in. And they found, all of a sudden, these, these young elephants growing their tusks became very aggressive. And they actually began to run in gangs. They would run in violent herds. And they found that all, they kept finding these dead carcasses of the hippos. And they had these huge puncture wounds. And they put up cameras and found out that these, these young male elephants would go up and just stab these hippos for no reason. They'd just go around almost like vandalizing, like young teenage gangs. And they thought, what is going on here? And somebody thought, possibly it's the absence of the presence of the older male elephants. So they figured out a way to ship a couple of big old dudes in. And when they did, the violence stopped. Because their male aggression had to be harnessed by the maturity and the strength of those mature elephants. And they dominated them, not, not pushing them around, but they dominated them by their presence. And it subdued them. And those elephants began to live up to what they were supposed to live up to rather than just going around poking hippo bellies. <laughs> and of course, there's a, a correlation in the, in the human race that males need a father. And it's not just males. Females need a father. There's something, something about a father that brings stability. Now, I'm not taking away from mamas. We talk about that on Mother's Day. And we need that nurturing, that safety, that home, making of a home. Last night, just before we drifted off to bed last night, Kathy and I watched that great theological resource. What was it, that show? Um, Be, uh, Leave it to Beaver. And... Uh, Little Beaver, his dad told him, don't touch the power tools. And uh, his dad left and his buddy, what's his buddy's name? I can't remember, the little guy. And he says, well, let's use your dad's part. Because he was going, pretending he was making holes. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm pretending I'm drilling. He said, is it fun? He said, I don't know, I just started. And he said, well, let's use a real one. He said, no, my dad said never to touch his power tools. He said, well, he didn't tell me that. How about you hold the board? Well, he holds it up against the wall, and they drill a hole right through the garage wall. So the dad gets on Beaver's case, and Beaver gets offended, and he leaves the house. He's going to run away. And why I got into that story, I have no idea. I really did have a point. Oh, I remember, I remember. If I wouldn't have confessed, I could have faked it for a couple more seconds, you know. Let's edit that out of the... No. Uh, the mom, when Beaver ran away, the mom, she just wants him home. And the dad said, we got to teach him a... We got to teach him a lesson. He'll come back home and he'll just, he'll just do it again. And she said, I don't care if he does it again. All I want is my baby home and to know he's safe. So it takes a mama and a daddy. But it does take both. It takes the maternal and the paternal. In a re very real sense... The development of a child, it's like climbing a ladder. You step off the father, and then the mother, and then the father, and then the mother, and then the father, and then the mother. And we, do, we get that, that development to fully develop the human soul.
But that authoritative role, that strong, loving, authoritative role is essential. I know I've told this before. Probably do it every Father's Day. But years ago, when my kids were just little, they, they, lately their pictures have been popping up on my Facebook feed, and they ain't little anymore. The Lord asked me a question. This was probably 20 years ago. He said, Dave, what difference would it make if you died? Now, that's a disconcerting question to hear from the Lord. I'm thinking, you got plans, Lord? <laughs> and I felt like he wanted me to think about that. So I meditated on that, and I thought, well, you know, at the time I was working for Teen Challenge, and I was volunteering here at the church as a pastor. And I thought, well, Teen Challenge, man, I've done a lot of, you know, I've been here a long time. I was there 14 years. I thought, man, you know, there's a lot of things that I know that other people don't know around here, but I, I'd seen that before. And I, I knew the, the, the absence the void I would leave was like the hand of the, the void a hand leaves when it pulls out of a bucket of water. It quickly fills in. And I thought, well, you know, they, they'd still they'd think, oh yeah, what was that guy that used to work here? And then I thought of the church. I thought, yeah, you know, they, they, there's people there that would miss me, but you know, I'm I'm not essential. And then I thought of my wife and kids. And it would, it would really challenge my wife and kids if I was gone. And as I sat there and thought about that, I felt like the Lord said, okay, now you know your priorities. Fathering is the foundation of the family. It's the foundation of society. And gentlemen, it needs to be the foundation of our responsibility, our focus our greatest legacy. All right, let me share one more thing I share every Father's Day. Years ago, I was reading in the book of Genesis. And it, it was, I want to say it's chapter 48. And it says, and this is the story of Jacob. And right after that, it says, Joseph, a boy of 17. And I'd read that many times. But it struck me. So I went back. It says, and this is the story of Jacob. And then it says, Joseph, a boy of 17. And it tells all about Joseph's life, the other brothers, you know, Joseph's prison in Egypt, and all of this stuff. And I thought, what? That is totally out of context. If this is the story of Jacob, why is it talking about the sons? Because there's a lot of material about Jacob. Arguably more about Jacob himself before it makes that statement. The chapters preceding that is all about Jacob's life, wrestling with the Lord and all this stuff, you know. And then all of a sudden, here he's married, he's having kids. And then it says, and this is the story of Jacob. And then it's not talking about Jacob directly, it's kind of indirectly, and it's talking about his kids and of course, you know where I'm going with this. That's the point. The story of a man is not about him. It's about his kids. And if we don't understand that, we spend our life trying to write our father's story. And we ignore our own. 
So it's very important that we settle the issues with the previous generation. It's very important that we settle those things so that we are no longer pulled into that and that we move on and we can give ourselves to the next generation. We're the bridge between those two generations. And to the best of our ability that we give grace to that previous generation, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, it's near the end of David's life. And it's almost as if it's the last two chapters speaking of David. And it, it's almost as if David is writing his own obituary before he dies. It says, David, son of Jesse, upon whom the favor of the Lord rests. And it talks about all these things. It, it's an amazing. And then it, then it talks about his mighty men as if that's kind of like his sons. He produced these mighty men in the earth. You know how an obituary say, and he is survived by? It's talking about who David survived by, these mighty men. But it struck me one day, I was reading that, and it says, David, son of Jesse. Now, if you know the backstory on David, you at least know that there's something going on between him and his dad. It wasn't the best of relationships. And the deeper you get into it, the more dysfunctional you realize it is. And many theologians believe that David was the result of an illicit affair his dad had. That he truly was the son of Jesse, but not the wife that the other brothers were a product of. And it might, it might explain why David wasn't there when Samuel's going to come and he says, get your sons together. Because the last thing you want when the man of God that can read your heart, the last thing you want in the room is the little reminder of your adulterous relationship. So you put him on the backside of the desert. And it was David who penned these words, God is a father to the fatherless. Rather than get bitter, and it would have been very easy for David to do so, David found that fatherhood in God and drank from that and allowed the Lord to heal him. And at the end of his life, rather than distance himself from his dad and rather than saying, hey, you wanted to disown me when I was a nothing, well, I'll disown you when I'm the big kahuna in the, the, the earth. But instead, what David does in his final days, David, one of God's favorites, David, who was the beloved of God, the king, David, in his obituary says, David, son of Jesse. And he takes his elevated position and reattaches it to his dad and brings his dad up in that elevated position and re-identifies with him and redeems his father's name. It's a beautiful thing. And we can redeem the lineage of our families. God loves to take the foolish things of this world and confound the wise. God loves to take the weak things. God loves to take brokenness and redeem it and make something beautiful out of it. And he's just looking for the generation who will lay hold of that and say, Lord, I'm the one. I'm going to clean my family line. I'm going to polish off the coat of arms in this family. And we're going to reestablish godliness in this family. But you've got to deal with the past. You've got to deal with those things. And the problem is a lot, of, a lot of us have a struggle in relating with God because of our issues with our earthly father. When people say, Father, we look towards God and we're looking through that faulty lens of who our dad was. 
and it messes with us. I'll tell you, this is not uncommon for people to love Jesus but feel distant from the Father. But I'm telling you, the Jesus you love died so that you could be reconciled to his Father, to your Father. He came to reveal the Father. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It's one of my favorite passages. I used to preach on this quite often here at Heartland. For a number of years, we would find our way back there. And I haven't done it for quite some time. Look at verse 14. This is one of the famous apostolic prayers of Paul. There are two apostolic prayers in Ephesians. And they're great prayers for you to read through and even memorize because you know you're praying God's will. You're cooperating with God's heart when you pray these verses over your life. Listen to what it says. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, and if you're, you're reading the NIV, there's a little letter or a number there, and if you follow it, it says, or Father. Because the, the same word we get family from is the same word we get Father from. And so what it's saying is, God, Paul is saying, I kneel before the Father from whom all families derive and whom all fatherhood derives its name. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this. He's saying God is not trying to, he, he's not picking up this title of father in some ill-fitted way so that, well, kind of uncomfortably human father. I'll put this jacket on though so that they can relate with me. That's what theologians call an anthropomorphic communication. They're trying to communicate with us as man. That is not what's going on here. God isn't putting on something that doesn't fit, but he's willing to wear it so that he can, we can relate with him. No, God, it fits God better than it fits us. He's the original dad. He is the father. And then he does this amazing thing, gentlemen. He takes his ultimate role and shares that title with us. And that needs to put, make us shake in our boots a little bit. I would propose to you the ultimate title that sums up who God is, is Father. And creation itself does not ultimately make sense unless you start there. You can't start with creator and get there. Start with creator, you have creation. Start with Redeemer, you have a bunch of saved people. But you start with the Father, and you end up with the family. And that is the kingdom, this royal family. And you will never understand the heart of God unless you see it through the lens of the Father heart of God. And God is the best Father. He is the ultimate Father. And any of your father wounds from your earthly father, you need to not look at God through the lens of your earthly dad. You need to look at your dad through the lens of your heavenly father. And when you do so, you'll have pity on him. And you'll relate with him out of grace and, and ask God to reveal his father heart to them. Because the fact is, hurt people hurt people. And usually most Fathers who hurt their children were hurt by their fathers and so forth. And somebody needs to stand up and say, enough! I'm going to redeem this family line. 
We're going to take a stand. But before you can be a good father, you have to receive from the father. I remember years ago, some of you know Bruce Overson. Bruce is a dear friend of mine. I love this man. And Bruce, was, he, would, uh, he was a vineyard pastor up in Mason City for many years. But he would uh, pray for our students. He'd volunteer out at Teen Challenge. And he had this prayer ministry. And whenever Bruce would pray for someone, the presence of God would just come in the room. So I would say, hey, why don't you use my office? And I'd sit in. And I would just get over, you know, just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And so Bruce would be praying for these students and they would go out and Bruce, I mean, out, they're, they're gone. And Bruce would whisper to me, this is what God's doing. Da, 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 da. And I'm thinking, how do you know? He's probably thinking, well, look what happened. You know, how do you think I, you know. But anyway, he, they'd come to and they would begin to share what God did. It was just what he told me. It was an amazing thing. They would just, but God would reveal himself, hit the Father's love. And I remember one day we were talking to this young man that Bruce is older than me, so Bruce was old enough to be his dad, but I wasn't. And this broken, hardened, young drug addict was pouring out his heart to us, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to just scoop him up in your arms and hold him like a dad. I, I mean, the picture I'm seeing is I'm holding him, rocking him back and forth. And I'm like, Lord, that'd be a little uncomfortable, okay? I'm not old enough to be his dad. I said, Lord, I, okay, this was internal. I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't saying this out loud so Bruce could hear, but I thought, Bruce is old enough. Have Bruce do it. <laughs> That's what I told the Lord. And the Lord said, I want you to put your arms around him and let my fatherhood come through you and father him. Now, pick him up. And I did. And God really touched this young man. As we receive the Father's love, we can be a participant and a conveyor of that love. We can minister that to others. But you can't give what you don't have. You can't give away what you haven't received. That's why scripture says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor, what's the standard? As yourself. The more you struggle with your own identity, which is often connected to fatherhood issues, the more you struggle with your own identity, the less you have to give away. But as you come into an area of self-acceptance and you're able to absorb the love of God so that you can be like John, John the Beloved, five times in his book he says, and the one whom Jesus loved, and the one whom Jesus loved, and the one whom Jesus loved, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Now, I don't know about you, but years ago when I read that, I thought, wow, that's kind of arrogant. I wonder what the other disciples thought about that when they saw his best-selling book come out. Well, you, you know, Bartholomew's bumping Thomas. You see what he wrote? He called himself the one whom Jesus loved. You know, he thinks he's all that. I don't think that what happened. Because John didn't say the one whom Jesus loves more than the rest. All he was saying is, anytime I look in the mirror... I can't help but think, looking back at me, is the one whom Jesus loved. John defined himself by the love of God. His identity was so wrapped around Jesus' opinion of him that he couldn't shake it. Let me propose to you that the healthiest 
way to look at yourself is through the eyes of Jesus. If you can view yourself the way that Jesus views you, it's not arrogance. And much of what we call humility is actually inverted pride. I remember I used to, I, when I'd get done preaching, I would say, you know, someone to say, that was good. Well, I don't think so. And I, I struggled with, was it? But I wanted, I wanted more feedback. I wanted them to know it was really good. I wanted, I was looking for that validation. I didn't have it on the inside, so I was looking for it from the outside. And so when we have it from God, we don't need that from people. The best way, uh, but let me put it this way. Humility is nothing more and nothing less than agreeing with what God says about you. And if you say things about yourself that you would never say about someone else, or if you did say it about someone else, it's someone you don't care for a whole lot, then that is an indication. That's a little light on your dashboard that there's a problem under the hood, my friend. Something needs to be fixed. We're to agree with heaven. And so we need a revelation of the Father because as we see him correctly, the Father is what defines the child. The Father calls that child into its destiny. And if we don't see God right, there are a lot of people who are redeemed, they know they're forgiven, but they live alienated from the Father. So Jesus came to reveal the Father so he could reconcile us to the Father. But in order to reconcile us to the Father, to get us into an intimate relationship with him. I'm not talking just legally. There's a lot of people that are on their way to heaven. They'll make it to heaven legally. They've been forgiven, but psychologically they don't believe it. They're legally reconciled, but psychologically alienated. In theological terms, that's called, I, 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 it's not good. You're to be integrated. You're, you're to be legally reconciled and psychologically reconciled so that you know you can live in the good of the love of God. That's why Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Paul, in Romans 8, says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But then Jude comes along and says, hey, keep yourself in the love of God. Why do I have to keep myself in something that nothing can separate me from? Because Paul is talking about the legality of God's, he is committed to you. He loves you. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, you can't change that. But Jude is talking about your, what you walk in. The posture of your heart. Are you living in the love of God? Are you convinced that God loves you? And when you're not, you live alienated. You live outside the holy place. You're like in the outer courts at best or outside the camp. And there are a lot of believers that live there. And so God wants to reveal his heart to you so that you can receive the love of God and it begins to change how you see yourself. That you begin to, your identity begins to be soaked in the love of God so that you define yourself as the one whom Jesus loves. That's what God wants to do. And a lot of us, if we were honest, and if we really gave it some thought, we live a lot of time with this sense of a low-grade disappointment from the throne. 
Like God is just, you know, you know, I love you in the sense that I tolerate you because Jesus bought you and I'm stuck with you. But God's love for us is not toleration. The whole reason the Father gave the Son, the whole reason the Son came, and the whole reason the Spirit pours out upon us is to reveal the love of the Father so we can be reconciled to Him and we can live in a relationship with our Father. And only then can we really begin to reproduce that and live from that and release that to others. One of the, if, if not the primary, one of the primary purposes or roles or functions of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me back up for just a moment. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you look in the New Testament, we don't have time to go too in depth on this this morning, but everything is from the Father and to the Father. It starts with Him and it ends with Him. It's from the Father through the Son. So God is the originator of all things. Jesus is the mediator. It's from the Father through the Son, but it's by the Spirit. He's the executor. He executes the will of God on the earth. Now, there's, there's a, there are other passages, but one of the best passages is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says, The amen is spoken by us to God through the Son. So it has the to, by, through. But in the, when it comes by, you know what the Spirit usually does? It attributes that role to you and I. Why? Because we're in partnership with the Spirit. We're to step into that role. But before we can partner with him, we have to access one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit. Again, one of the, if not the primary function is this. Romans 5, it says, the Spirit of God sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. A few chapters later in chapter 8, Paul begins to refer to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption, or depending on the translation, the spirit of sonship. He says that causes us to cry, Abba, Father. So in Romans 5, he sheds that love in our heart, and it causes us, as the spirit of adoption, to cry out to him, Abba, Father, or Daddy God. It births that within us. What it's saying is that an encounter with the love of God is it begins to saturate our spirit. It causes us to relate with him as our father. And we live from that place in relationship with the father. That is God's goal for your life. Now, I started reading this verse, this passage. I read one verse and God carried away. So let's read it again. Verse 14, Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family or fatherhood in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. This is another place where it's talking about the Spirit's role in releasing the love of God, revealing the love of God to you, okay? So he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
Why? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Strange prayer for believers. If I were to say to you as you're leaving, hey, I've been praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, you might even be a little offended. Like, what, you don't believe he's there? But Paul's not talking about God, the Spirit of God being in your heart. He's talking about the, the idea behind this Greek word is he settles down and makes himself at home. God has a lot of rental properties. <laughs> you ever been a guest? When I was homeless, families would pity me. And they would say, I would never do what your parents did and kick you out. And they would take me in for a while, and then they'd kick me out. And they'd say, I see why your dad did it. And, uh, and I went through several families like that. And they were wonderful people that even opened their home. But they learned very quickly that I was not of the level of character they wanted around. But in living in these homes, I never felt at home. I always knew that, man, this is not my place. I got permission to be here, but I don't feel the liberty to just go get something out of the fridge. And I, I don't, you know, it's like I'm always kind of in the shadows. You don't come in and change the channel because you're not family. And I've often thought about that, that I think sometimes the Spirit of God feels that way in people's lives because they haven't really had a revelation of the love of God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Look at what he says. He says that he may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being, what, rooted and established in love, that your root system would go deep into the love of God. The foundation of your life would be built upon God's extravagant affection towards you, for you, and commitment to you. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, what, for ministry? No, together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to know something that's beyond knowledge. In the English, that doesn't even make sense. In the Greek, it does. He says, I want you to have an experiential knowledge of something that you can't know as theory. You can't study yourself into it. You can't look on the outside and understand it. You gotta be in love to understand love. So he says, I want you to have a revelation. I want you to have an experience of the love of God. And that is the purpose, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit to bring the love of God, a revelation of the love of God, of what Jesus lived on earth, to reveal the Father and the Spirit reveals it to us so that we can be impacted by the love of God. And we begin to live from that place and it changes how we see ourselves. And we're no longer, we're no longer looking for validation on the outside because we have it on the inside. And all of a sudden our relationships are not something we try to get something from. It's we are, our needs are already fulfilled. So we can bring something to them. And we can spend our life living for others. Because we've been impacted by the love of God. The secret of love is to be loved. The secret of being a loving person is to be loved. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. The, the taproot of Christian love is a revelation of his love. 
And if you're struggling in your patience and your, 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 your uh, long-suffering with those around you, if you struggle in being loving towards people, what you need to do is go get your tank filled, get in the presence of God, and soak up his love for you. Get a revelation of that. Let the Spirit come upon you and reveal that to you. And when that happens, it's natural. I remember I had an epiphany years ago, 35 years ago. I was youth, a youth pastor, and I was getting these kids, and at 6 a.m. all summer long, we were meeting for prayer early in the morning. And I, I'm going to tell you, if you can get teenagers out at 6 a.m., that is a move of God. I don't care if all that happens is you get them out of bed and they sleep at church. That alone is a sign and a wonder. So I'd go around in this old church van, and the, 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 the steering was so bad, I'd go straight down the road, and I'd be doing this, just to keep it straight. Pick them all up, get them to church, and we'd pray for an hour, and then I'd drive them home. And I, I realized, you know what? I am much calmer in my driving on the way home from the prayer meeting than I was going to the prayer meeting. Someone tried to run me off the road, hey, bless you, I don't care, I'm going to heaven. God bless you. It's okay. I love you. Because I'd been soaking in the love of God. So Paul says, oh my goodness, it's after 12. <laughs> okay, we're going to close this. Stand so you know I'll quit, okay? Listen to what he says. I want you, whoop. he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Or to have an encounter with love that you can't study yourself into. Why? Listen to the last line of this apostolic prayer. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You can't walk in the fullness of the Spirit without the love of God. It is, un, it is unsustainable. You can't walk in it. In order for you to open every recess and to be filled, you've got to know you're safe in his presence. It's his love that changes your perception of him and begins to bleed back and change your perception of you. And then it begins to encounter others. And so, I, I meant to go in a whole different direction this morning for Father's Day. What I want to do very quickly, if you would indulge me, I want every dad to come forward right now and just stand down here. I want all the men right down here. If you are a dad, Hoel, you're a dad. Just not here. Come on, let's, let's come down here. Stand. Yes, let's give these guys a hand. Amen. Cram in here. Let's get a little tighter. I don't want guys to have to stand in the aisles. I want us to. And so if you guys could move in a little bit from the sides. And then, I'm here, man. Then I want you ladies to get in behind them. Ladies, you have a vested interest. Young people, get in behind your dads. Let's pray for these. If your dad ain't here, pray like he is, okay? Let's surround these men. You have a vested interest in praying that God would reveal his great love to these men. Because when God reveals himself to these men, they become better dads and husbands and citizens. And guys, what God has put within you genetically and spiritually, the ability to reproduce yourself. It is, it is a spiritual thing that you are able to reproduce yourself. 
And this nation needs men of God who will reproduce themselves spiritually. That is not just a biological thing. There is an innate ability for you to speak into men's lives and reproduce what God has done in you that you've worked for. This is what happens with kids. I work, my kids get it for free. It's called fatherhood. And what you labor for, you can give away as you step into that role of a father. But you can't be a good dad if you're still, you're still struggling with your dad issues and you're busy writing your dad's story and neglecting your own. God has a story he wants to write with your name on it. And you know what it is? It's what comes from your loins, physically and spiritually. That is your legacy. It's not the jobs, you know, it's not the promotions you get and the money you make and the car you drive. It's the people you impact. And what they do is your story. What you do is your dad's. So ladies, just put your hands up towards these men. Father, I thank you for these men. And Lord, I'm asking God that you would release the spirit of adoption over them. Lord, I'm asking God that you would begin to touch their hearts and reveal your great love to them. Lord, that they would walk as one who Jesus loved. Lord, that they would see themselves that way. God, touch our hearts. Help us to walk in that awareness, Lord, that we would walk as people who are secure in a father's love. I just saw this picture. I've seen it over people many times. Guys, you don't have to face life alone. Some of you have already lost your earthly fathers. And there's this void like, man, I gotta face life alone. Or maybe your dad wasn't the kind of guy that you'd wanna ask advice. You have a father and he stands behind you. His hands are on your shoulder and he's a big, big dad. And you draw from him. Your kids don't need you to have all the answers, but they need you to be there in that stability that your presence brings. God has the answers and he'll bring them through you. So Lord, we thank you for these men. And Lord, we're asking God that you would release a movement of fathers in the faith. Fathers and mothers, a kingdom family. And Lord, I ask that you would extend that in this house, Lord, that the orphans, God, those without a father or mother could find a family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.